book, by the way, is called When Despair Meets Delight, Stories to Cultivate Hope for Those Battling Mental Illness. Mm -hmm. And it's somewhat of a sequel to my first book, which was a devotional memoir, Delight and Disorder. The Mental Health Podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers. We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And And we are Revealing Voices. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm good. We are on program number 40. Yes. Which is is a number of completion in Scripture, 40 days and 40 nights. It's also the number of my age. 40 years old. Where I finally became an adult. Yeah, well, you know. It's a good number. (laughs) It had to happen sometime. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's arguably. Yeah. Finally, finally got here. It's good to be here. Been a big summer for you. It's been a pandemic summer, but a lot of good stuff's happened mm-hmm. um, in in my life. We uh, had a family trip to Dauphin Island, Alabama. Uh, there were thirteen of us, and we just had a little private home on a quiet island and mm-hmm. um, kept it really close to the place. Uh, made meals kept it simple you know yeah. I, I think a lot of us a lot of family games there's a lot of family games. we had a family euchre tournament mm-hmm. and for those of you who know euchre uh, i was euchred while trying to go alone oh which means you're so confident in your hand that you say i'll go alone i'll get all five <laughs> tricks get, without my partner three. without my sister maria and I lost three. Oh, she three. loved that. It was a total meltdown. <laughs> I wound up like running around. I grabbed my sister-in-law and like, like pulled her. <laughs> I don't even know what I did. I was so amped up from getting euchred on a, a loner. How many points do you lose when you... You just lose two. You only lose two? Well, then I would go... Alone every time. Cause I, I, I call it a lot. Yeah. My brother, my other sister, wound up winning. I don't think anyone scored more than four on them the whole time. Wow. Yeah. Euchre's kind of a Midwest thing, for those yeah, of you who don't, don't know. But uh, the Riddles love Euchre. If you're not a member of the Midwest, a uh, resident of the Midwest, and you uh, play Euchre, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. But that was good. Also went... To Michigan with some of my friends last weekend, and similar situation. It's a rural Michigan uh, Airbnb, a place called Three Rivers. We were cooking, didn't go out to any restaurants, uh, did a lot of hiking, played a round of golf. I've gotten into golf this summer. Mm-hmm. Staying out in the air, I've just been hiking a lot and doing as much as I can outdoors, gardening, of course, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. great. In a way, that all just feels like the sort of stuff I'd like to be doing. Uh, I've also been working on a thing called Bee City USA. I'm trying to make Columbus the mm-hmm. first bee city, Tony. It's a 
significant designation. How would you feel to live in a B city? I better than an F city. Yeah. <laughs> We want to be an A city. A city. A plus city. A city. Well, we're, we're already A city. Yeah, we we're are A city. city. <laughs> uh, God. Um, so Rachel from our last show, she's she's helping out on that committee, and we're already doing a lot of things that are required by the the people who hand out the B city designation. So, anyway. Putting together a committee, you know. Sure. Writing the, application, talking to city council, all that fun stuff. Fun, bureaucratic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Got to love it. Somebody's got to do it. We would be the first Indiana B-City, which I think would mm -hmm. be pretty cool. It's yeah, worth looking up. I mean, seriously, B-City USA through the Xerxes Society is a legitimate thing. And after we knock this out, I want to become a tree city, Tony. <laughs> Tree City, USA. Yeah. We could be a bee in a tree city. <clears throat> yeah. Why not stop there? I mean, why stop there? You could make all of Columbus like a, a protected <laughs> landform. What do they call that? Nature preserve. Federal Reserve. Yeah, or, yeah Federal Reserve. <laughs> Nature Preserve. Yeah. I just I just read a book by a guy named Douglas Tallamy. He's written this book called Nature's Best Hope, and he's on this, like, thing called homegrown national park mm. and he's like there are millions of acres in this country of like people's personal property we just need to get everybody planting pollinator plants there you go get some butterflies up in here get some bees mm -hmm. you know get some ecology going on your personal property Turn it into the rainforest. And it's great. I mean, I'm all for it, Doug. But homegrown national park is kind of a little corny. Yeah. Very ambitious. May your parcel join mine, Tony. What's this on the board about me and white supremacy? The guys at the living room church said, hey, Eric, we've got this book we're going to be reading. Would you like to come out every other Wednesday? We'll have a meal. We'll talk through this book called Me and White Supremacy. I said, okay. So I've been doing it. We're three, three in. It's 30 chapters. It, it could be like a one chapter a day type thing. The first week that we're, we're still on, um, it's like defining what is white supremacy, what is white privilege, what is white silence, all these things. And when we met this past week, one of the topics was tone policing. Have you heard of tone policing? No, I have not. I really like that chapter because mm -hmm. it's all about when you're having these dialogues about racism, that sort of thing, if a person gets too fired up, they're angry or they're really frustrated. She says, if you're not talking like a robot, mm -hmm. you may get criticized for your tone being a little too aggressive or, you know, emotions that might upset the listener mm -hmm. and then the idea of tone policing then is the listener will not embrace what you're saying because they think you should be more calm mm -hmm. you know I, I would listen to you if you would just quiet down a bit i would listen to you if you just provide a rational argument that i could take into consideration and 
we could go from there. And, and, and the author is like, we're dealing with racism and people who have been subject to racism their whole life, you know, are going to have some visceral, emotional dialogue with you. And, and if you're, you know, basically telling somebody you won't listen to them until they tone it down, that's not really fair. I'm like totally on board with that. And mm-hmm. I think tone policing happens a lot. And something I brought up in the group, I mean, these guys know that I have a bipolar diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, for me, I have to tone police myself. Sure. Because I will get into conversations that are about my emotions. Mm-hmm. And because this is like a mood disorder thing, it's almost like if you are sh- speaking from a place of emotion mm-hmm. or elevated mood it's like you're discredited because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like your diagnosis talking right it's not like a genuine feeling mm-hmm. you know and i have dealt with that at times from people i love dearly mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. it, and it goes both ways so with tone policing it could be you know tony you're hearing me you're saying you're being too emotional eric like get yourself in check you know like minimizing my emotions in a way. Mm-hmm. The diagnosis is talking, Eric. You know, you, that could be coming yeah, from you. Right. Or it could be... Have you taken your medicine? Sure. Exa- exactly. Jumping to that. It's like, no, I had a really bad day, and the guy hit my bumper, you know, and then he's the one yelling, you know, whatever. The other thing with tone policing, though, is your, your own personal policing. Mm-hmm. I know I'm emotional, and instead of allowing myself to feel free to express myself, I have to tone it down. I have to say, Eric, you know, take a breath, step away. I mean, all these things. And it's not that that's unhealthy to do that, but sometimes it can mute your expression and not allow mm-hmm. you to really express yourself when it goes too far. Tell me, what do you think? Well, I, <clears throat> I think context is so key. You know, I think, you know, you got everything from, I mean, imagine if you were passionate, and I use the word passionate. I mean, imagine, imagine if you got passionate in a city council meeting. Right. I mean, could you get anything done? I mean, would anything pass? And the answer is no. I mean, if, if you got so passionate about B-City USA that you suddenly – blurted out, you know, expletives about it, <laughs> which is part of, you know, I mean, that's part of people with respect to racism. I mean, blurting out expletives right. makes perfect sense when you've been discriminated against and when you've suffered right. sorely for hundreds of years. I mean, it makes right. perfect sense to verbally be verbally aggressive. Yeah. Much less physically aggressive. I mean, my mind goes to, and I don't know how far we want to go with this, but I think that was a criticism of Martin Luther King Jr., that he wasn't passionate enough. Right. Because he was just, um, he was all about nonviolence. And yeah. people thought that that meant he was not passionate en- enough. Whereas Malcolm King was, Malcolm or Malcolm X, X yeah. was, uh, you know, I mean, he, no bones about it. He he thought by all, any means necessary, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so there was probably more to the story, and they're more like than dissimilar. I think in in all 
context, we have to make room for passion. Those who've been discriminated against, whether it be racism or um, women in other circles, other contexts, uh, people with mental illness, um, we have to respect their passion and hear their voices. Absolutely. What we're really here to talk about, Tony, (laughs) is something very special. Something special. This is what's consumed my summer. Well, yeah, really the whole pandemic time, which has been since March now. The book, by the way, is called When Despair Meets Delight, Stories to Cultivate Hope for Those Battling Mental Illness. Mm -hmm. And it's somewhat of a sequel to my first book, which was a devotional memoir, Delight and Disorder, but it takes a different direction and tells my story uh, chronologically, and then it uh, it tells the stories of others in mental health ministry and points the way to a model for mental health ministry. Yeah. Yeah. It was about a year ago you really sat down to get going on the book. So I was conceived the book about a year ago um, and then really sat down to write in October with the hope that it would be published by Moody Press, actually. Mm -hmm. That was my original intent. Which is a big-time publisher. Yeah, they're one of the bigger Christian publishers. And Amy Simpson, who wrote the endorsement for my first book, is an acquisitions editor. So I thought I had a chance. So I sat down in October and started writing, and I got a great start in October and then kind of fizzled out, um, picked it up in around December and yeah. was able to write a proposal to Moody. They liked the book content, but the narrative of a manuscript or a memoir was not up their alley. They were looking more for a specific, somewhat of a how-to book. Yeah. So I really set this book aside and started down another path for a book called Hope for Troubled Minds. And I wrote a proposal which was, you know, getting some attention and um, and then the pandemic struck and it seemed that I was getting a lot of people, my readers, who were saying, you know, you really ought to finish this first book. Of course, yeah. So really since the pandemic struck, I have spent a lot of time on that. It's come along pretty well. well. I would think so. You're about to go pick up the book from Tennessee, right? Yeah. You know, I've hit, hit a lot of uh, pitfalls. The writing, for those of you who have self-published, you need to know that the writing at best is 10% of what you do. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you want to write and publish to reach people. The job got done, and yes, as of now... It is sitting at the printers. I put a call in tomorrow, and it could be ready any day, Um, hopefully no later than Thursday. How how different is the book from what I read back in December? Well, it's significantly different. Certainly some parts are the narrative of my early diagnosis and early ministry is is pretty much what you read. Okay. But then um, I adapted a lot of the ministry portions um, to to reflect 
more of what has happened. I've included more content. I know Eric and Jen gave me some good feedback. His wife, Jen, gave me some good feedback about, you know, points that I was kind of touting myself in my own ministry. And I took that out and instead inserted the stories of others, you know, that I had worked with. Mm. Um, I updated it through the pandemic. There's a whole section called Diverted by a Pandemic. Oh, and, wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and so it was... Uh, I'm glad you got that in there. Yeah. It was, it was not possible back, you know, sure. when you read it. Right. Um, and so I was able to talk about more about my work with St. Peter's and more about my online ministry with Hope for Troubled yeah. Minds. Um, That's great. So, yeah, I, I feel pretty good about it. I've been building a, a reader anticipation for quite some time. I, I well, you just ha- told me all that you got going on in the next month to yes, promote the book. Tomorrow, which is August the 10th, I'll be interviewed by a local station, QMix. And um, if you go to my um, Facebook page, you'll see the, the link. Uh, and... Um, I I have two or three radio interviews and two podcast Facebook live sure. interviews and Saturday's my biggest thing is uh going to be well it'll be broadcast September 1 during the release but it'll be a uh, an online um virtual Zoom book launch and I'll be interviewed con- conversation with Pastor Mark Tyke who was instrumental in, in, in hiring me at St. Peter's Lutheran mm-hmm. to be a faith and mental health advocate. He was on Revealing Voices. Yes, he was on yeah. one of our first episodes. So I'm excited. This It's been a bittersweet time for me because uh, my father, I dedicated the book to my father, yeah. um, to Vestin E. Roberts, the best dad ever. And uh, Now, your middle name is E, it's, and it's just the letter E. Just the letter E. What about your dad's middle name? Stands alone. Just like also stands alone. Harry S. Truman. Yep. Vestine Roberts. (laughs) God rest his soul. (laughs) So dad died. Yeah. You you spoiled the lead. Yeah. Dad dad passed away, died um, on the 30th, July 30th. 12 days after his 80th birthday. He had an 80th birthday. It was a real blowout. I mean, Tell he, me more. Well, his 80th birthday. This is a big deal. Well, it was a big deal. He was he was looking forward to it. He always used to avoid birthdays, and he would just hop on his motorcycle and hide and not tell anybody where he was. Oh, yeah? But now he, he was like, you know, I'm turning 80. This is a big accomplishment. Yeah. So his his niece, uh, his granddaughter, my niece, uh, planned at first what was going to be just, uh, they had a sign out by the road, honk, you know, it's my 80th birthday. Yeah. And people were honking all the way down the road. Yeah. Then they had a parade, you know, a bunch of cars that passed by. But <clears throat> a parade of who? Of, well, friends, family, church members. Okay. With dad, you can't. He's such a crowd pleaser. You can't keep people out of the house. So right. there were some people 
in violation of social distancing who's who dropped in and he had a ball, you know. And he was it was really something he looked forward to so much that he was keeping his symptoms at bay. Yeah. You know I mean that you know, you you, you you see people do that. They just look forward to something they rally. and then once yeah, once they yeah. did the very next day I called him and he's like, Tony, I've never felt worse in my whole life. Really? So Right away, I knew it. he had to go to the ER. So we yeah. took him to the ER, and um, he was miserable and took him home. The next morning, I stayed there that night. The next morning, he couldn't even move from the bed to his wheelchair. Yeah. And uh, we called hospice, and very quickly things progressed. He, uh, he spent a week at home with in a hospital bed, and then... Uh, went to the hospice center and died 12 days after his birthday. So he died in his own terms. So, and the I have big eight. Oh, big 80. Come That's on. Right. 80 Vestin E. Roberts in 12 days. And I have to tell you, you know, in terms of spiritual perspective, um, you, you couldn't write a better script. I mean, my right. dad who had lived some hard times, he had, you know, he had been a, a, a rowdy sort of a fellow, riding motorcycles and drinking beer. And um, but he uh, he gave up drinking cigarettes uh, and took, you know, I won't say he took care of himself. He still ate a pound of bacon <laughs> on his own, but uh, he uh, he appreciated the people around him, and he always did. And yeah. anyway. I visited him the day before he died, and I asked him, I said, Dad, um, is there anything you want to see happen before you pass? You know, basically, are you ready? And he said, no. You very emphatically said, no, I'm ready. So I said, that's good, and I took his hand, and he squeezed it. I'll never forget. It's just like Dad's grip was always very strong, Yeah, and it was still very strong. Good. And I prayed that, um, you know, he be relieved of pain and released for the life to come. And he said a very hearty amen. Um, wow. And then it was three hours later that he um, slipped into the process of dying. Um, yeah. And um, just entered into a peaceful state, no pain, uh, and and then passed. Just, Yeah. So can't ask for a you better way to die. Yeah, man. That's great. It is. And, you know, it I really haven't. Is. I'm sure there's an extent to which I haven't grieved yet. Uh, right. I've uh, I cried when I called people to tell them. Right. Uh, and really, I've cried a couple other times. Uh, and I think about calling him every day because, I mean, this is a man that I called every day for 12 years. Really, uh, I I never went a day without calling him at least I did once not a day. Realize that. Yeah, and so there's a big gap, and his wife uh, Connie has uh, cared for him every moment of the day for mm. ten years. There's a big gap, so yeah. we're grateful, and I I'm grateful he did get to hear the dedication and acknowledgments of the book. Right. I had recorded it earlier, and he got to hear the book as I had recorded it. 
um, and was very moved, was very he, grateful. He was able to listen to your entire book. He, he listened to the entire book. Now, it's edited now, but sure. he listened to the entire book as it was uh, developed. Pretty incredible. And you've dedicated the book to Vestine Roberts. Vestine Roberts, the best dad ever. The, the story about that is that dad was one to always appreciate the moment. And your blog post was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he, tell us more. He never. You'd ask him, you know, Dad, what what's your your favorite best pie? You know, the the favorite pie you've ever had. It was always the one he was eating. And right. what you know, what is your favorite experience? And it was the one he was having. And who's your favorite friend? And it was the one he's he was with. You know, everything about Dad was the best. He's ever. a man in the moment. He was always in the moment. And you know, <laughs> I'll never forget. He, uh, even up until the end. I mean, this is this is talking about days before he died. It's like, Dad, how you feel? He said, "I feel no pain. There's no pain in my fingernails. None in my hair." <laughs> he was lying, but <laughs> that's how he was. <laughs> Dad, those were dead cells. Learned <laughs> yeah, that in eighth right. grade. How do you feel like in your gut? <laughs> <laughs> that's my dad uh. but one thing I talk about in my book is that even though I have a mental illness and I'm bound to have depressive symptoms um, there is a resolve that I've inherited from my father yeah. that keeps me from experiencing the very low extreme you know because I do reach a point after going through a very low period mm -hmm. where I'm like, well, okay, I've got to make the most of this, you know, even if it's just a matter of taking a shower or, you know, sitting here and praying and, and being grateful that I'm breathing, you know. Well, it sounds like he had a lot of joy. Absolutely. And a lot of hope, you know, and I very I think much so. You've inherited some of that soul, soul work he's done. Yeah, I, I, uh, I like to think I have, and uh, you know, I want to share that with others. There's a lot. Of, it's I've never been through grief this closely. I, as a pastor, I dealt with it professionally all the time. Sure, but um, uh, I, I say this not in a phony way, but when 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 someone you love dies. It's a tremendous opportunity to witness to your faith. Because mm -hmm. if people are expecting you to fall apart, and you, you do express sadness, mm -hmm. but you also say, you know, I'm confident right. that, you know, this is not all there is. Right. There's, I mean, people really are inspired by that. And I think a lot of my friends who, because I've been, as you know, I've been writing about it on Facebook a lot. I want my dad to become famous. People who are atheists are writing to me and saying, you know, I don't think I could feel that way. Or I don't think I have that hope. Mm. One fellow wrote to me and talked about how, uh, how distant he felt from his own father and his own family. And how much he hoped that one day they would be as close and he could feel as much mm. as I did mm -hmm. like that yeah. towards, towards them. So 
yeah, I want to celebrate that and take seriously that responsibility. Yes. So hopefully my book will be one more step in that direction, telling dad's story, telling the stories of others who have been living in uh, situations of challenge and situations where others may not see how they can get through it, but they have hope, as you say. Right. Uh, so tell me, this is your second book. Right. If I've read your first book, what am I? what's going to be new here? Yes. How's this going to be fresh? Well, my, my first book is very clearly a therapeutic book that tells my story in increments. Like, it's more of a devotional book. You have one verse of the Psalms and then a, de, uh, a devotion that tells my life story, but in a very abrupt manner. They were like vignettes. Vignette, yeah. It's just yeah. little scattered vignettes. Three, maybe four pages max. Max, yeah. Probably yeah. more like one or two, but yeah, mm-hmm. they were they were brief. This story still has brief segments, but it very is intentionally chronological. Yeah. Um, some of the content early on is, from the first book is retold in the second, although framed a little differently. Mm-hmm. But then as I move into my ministry years, which I do fair, fairly early, mm-hmm. I get away from my own story and tell the stories of others and how as a pastor I could relate to them because of my own woundedness. Mm-hmm. Um, and my hope is people reading it will, you know, not just identify with me, which I think I'm hearing people. There are two things I heard about my first book. I heard people who have mental illness say that it inspired me, you know, to, to feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. And I heard actually from a lot of loved ones who said, you know, I want, you know, my johnny or jane to read this because it's given me a new insight into who they are right this book if it does its job will be one that certainly those two groups can appreciate but also pastors and church leaders who really want to fashion a ministry uh, and an outreach to include and invite and involve people with mental illness in the full life of the community. Yes. So that's why I've used it with a chronological telling, you know, when I started in ministry to the time I was diagnosed until a very fruitful, productive period, Mm -hmm. and then my decline in a church and some of the lessons I learned, uh, and then finding my way, way back to being a faith and mental health advocate within a church. And then the contacts I make with people within and beyond the it's, church. It's not quite a biography, autobiography. No, it isn't. It, it's how would you describe it? I, it's hard to John. It's hard to put it in a genre, but it's well. I tell you what it is. It's a memoir of a minister with mental illness and a model for mental health ministry. So it's both. It's well, as the subtitle implies, stories to cultivate hope. Mm-hmm. You know, my story cultivates hope. Mm. The stories of others cultivate hope. Mm. The stories that I'm encouraging so, uh, people so to tell. So it's not an autobiography because there are other people's stories that you're really weaving in. Exactly, and my and 
after I get to, through the first few chapters, it's more the the focus is more on the the people I've interacted with, okay, and who I've seen. It's not on you know look at what a great job I've done as sure. a pastor. It's what I've witnessed and how other churches can witness this sort of thing mm. just by being more aware. Good. So, Tony, we met because of your That's right. first book. That's right. I, I get the Sunday That's newspaper right. here in Columbus. Right. It said Tony Roberts publishing a book, going to be at the library, yeah. going to talk in the Red Room. That's right. Come hear what he has to say about faith and mental health. That's right. And, and Jen said, you ought to meet this guy. You know, it's funny you should say that because this Saturday, August 15th, I'm going to be featured in the paper again right. by Brian Blair, right. same author. <laughs> right. And uh, it will be about my virtual book launch yeah. on September 1. Yeah. So who knows I, who I'm going to meet? Right. You know? I won't be jealous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, I mean, that's the point. I mean, you, it's, you do this so you can meet fellow travelers who are doing ministry and encourage them. I mean, that's what's happened I, with me. So it's been such a blessing. Thank you too. for writing I mean, that well, book and, and this one. It's been such a blessing. You know, the period before you and I met was the loneliest period of my life. You know, I had gone through a very troubled marriage and mm -hmm. uh, where I didn't form any friends outside of the marriage. And then my illness and my retiring early because of my illness, everything kind of took me out of community. Yeah. Um, and then I spent this time to write the book. And then when it was published and got some attention, you and I met. And then it was all about coming back into community mm -hmm. uh, and the healing impact that had on me. That's great. And others, I believe. Yeah, I, I have that same hope. I, I don't pretend that I'm going to write a bestseller. That's not my goal. But I'd like to break even. <laughs> and then I would, most importantly, I would like to um, uh, build. I'm looking at this, this sand sushi bridging troubled water and thinking, you know, the bridges that I can build between the the world of mental health care and the faith community that mm -hmm. are having this dangerous divide that tears apart people with mental illness and those impacted. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the, those are the bridges I want to build. And that's what I'm hoping the book will yeah. do. Where do yes. you go from here, Tony? Where do I go from here? So one of the questions the reporter from the Republic asked me was, you know, so does does this mean you're on a book tour or, you know, at the classic, you know, and first of all, the pandemic w prevents a lot of that. Right. Some of it can be done virtually, but I really would like to see if my health holds up and that's a big if. But if my health holds up, I would like to do virtual, you know, Zoom conferencing with church leaders and pastors. Mm -hmm. I would like to discuss topics of mental illness and the ministries and faith communities and advise them uh, mm -hmm. on that, those subjects. I could envision some webinars mm -hmm. emerging. Basically, everything that I can produce out of the comfort of my study so that I don't have to travel and yeah. it would be less stressful and more 
you in line so with, on when you're in in person exactly and the stress of travel and all that I, exactly regardless of pandemic stuff. it would be i mean it, the pandemic gives me the freedom to say no yeah uh, but the reality is that i i did that a few times in my first book and it was good to have that experience but i can't do that plus i'll i'll put a plug in here i'm working on my third book already well yeah you were talking about Moody, yes. and then that kind of got going early this year. Yes. So I'm still in conversation with Moody. I I now am more, have clearer direction on this book, Hope for Troubled Minds, God's Love for Those Who Love People with Brain Illnesses, mm. or mm. working title. So basically I'm interviewing loved ones and advocates who love persons with brain illnesses, people like Laura Pagliano that mm-hmm. we had on our program, Leslie Carpenter, right. uh, Jean Gore, Janet Hayes, a number of others. Um, and some of these have measures of faith. Deborah Giesling is mm-hmm. one uh, we interviewed. And others have turned away from the church either because of their reaction to their mental illness or for other reasons. And they just don't they don't find hope in in the church, right? And from my perspective, it's a matter of you know not trying to convince them that they're wrong and that they are missing out, but what can the church do to gain from them and their experience? Because they have a lot of passion for serving, mm-hmm. and what can we do as a church to better give hope for troubled minds? Mm-hmm. So that book will require a lot of research. I don't anticipate having it completed till 2022, mm-hmm. but I'll start to work on it. Sure. That's great, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> I may take a nap first. <laughs> <laughs> You've had a big summer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tony, I'm, I'm glad we were able to talk about the book and about your dad. I didn't know him that well, but... I mean, just from the few experiences, it was it was a laugh. You know, there is a story that Dad loved to tell uh, about Eric. That the first time, it was the first time you met <laughs> Eric. Eric walked in and understand Dad had just had heart surgery. What is it? One of his many heart surgeries. And I knew that. So, so he cleared up just enough space in those arteries to come home and bake up a couple pounds of bacon. And Eric walked in and said, that's more bacon than I've eaten my whole life. <laughs> Dad, Dad loved it. He told that story countless times. And it became such a joke like when I... When Isaac was running a lemonade stand and spe- selling lemon muffins and lemon My this son. and lemon yeah. all this, and Dad said, go, go, go ask Eric and it, if he has any lemon bacon. <laughs> <laughs> but he enjoyed that. Even up until the end, one of the last times, he was like, yep, yeah, we'll fix some bacon for Eric. Bacon in heaven. Did he have any bacon on his 80th birthday? Uh, I'm sure he did. Uh he, uh, one of his last meals was uh, biscuits and gravy. Oh, good. Yeah. So he got a good Southern Indiana meal for one of his last meals. Good. But I'm sure he had bacon uh, in the last week of his life. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Tony, best uh, to you here in your next Thank month you. and and rest of the year as you promote the book. Glad we could get this out here on Revealing Voices, and we'll continue to update our, our audience on, on the yes. progress and, and the success of your book. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thank you. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com. Took some mulligans, but you know, we all have to take a mulligan every now and then. In life, yeah, life is about taking mulligans. You can do a do-over. That's called grace. Isn't grace a do-over? Kind of, maybe. You might. That's say, bad theology. You might say that. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Forgiveness. Forgiveness is like a mulligan. <laughs>